Yes, earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. And I'd like to add to that, I'm calling all sinners here to take your Bibles. And in case you don't think that includes you, it does. For all have sinned, we've all fallen short of the standard, which is God himself and his own glory. And because we are sinners, uh, we all the more need to hear his truth. Sin is such a deceitful thing. Our own hearts are not uh, able to tell us the truth. We need God's word to tell us the truth. And that's why we take the study of God's word seriously here at Good Shepherd Church. Now, at the outset of my preaching uh, last Lord's Day, some of you will remember and some of you were praying, I spoke of a dear friend and brother, missionary to Taiwan, Mark Harbor. Uh, He did indeed have a significant cancerous tumor surgically removed. On Friday, I learned that the pathology reports were disappointing and that in all likelihood there are cancer cells streaming through his body. His wife requested that I phone him, uh, which I did speaking to him in his hospital bed on the other side of the world. Just prior to my dialing all those numbers, I pleaded with the Lord for the right things to say to my brother, the appropriate scripture to share, and what I should utter in prayer on his and his family's behalf. And the Lord did help me. I believe that I was able to provide both comfort and encouragement to the Harbor family and to my former seminary roommate, Mark Harbor. Knowing what might lay ahead for my dearest friend, it wasn't easy for me, but I did share with him the fact that God calls some of his choicest servants to a ministry of affliction. My friend Mark is a gifted teacher in a Taiwanese seminary there. He and his wife complement each other in a very active ministry of helps to others. And I can tell you from what he shared with me that the thought of his being laid aside is for him as much a challenge as battling the cancer itself. And I had to remind him that while we would pray for healing and complete recovery, that nevertheless his sovereign Lord had the right to call him away from a ministry of mind and words and works to a ministry of suffering for the glory of God. And that if God would glorify himself this way through Mark's body, then that same God, I assured him, would show himself strong and faithful in providing all the necessary grace to endure it for the cause of Christ and for his glory. The next morning, I sent through electronic mail the message of William Cowper's great hymn, out of the 16th century, 
these words to Mark and Ruth Harbour. I'd like to share them with you. Cowper penned these words, and they are a deep and wondrous hymn. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. I love this line. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Here in John 17, in this intimate place of prayer, we've been saying that the very heart of Jesus for his own is being revealed. We entitled this series of messages simply, No Greater Love. There is no greater love than that of Christ above and his heart is opened and revealed as he speaks to his father. The extraordinary thing to me is hours before the cross, he speaks to his father about me and about you. And yet there is in the unfolding prayer itself an element of mystery. As Cowper says, God moves in mysterious ways. After all, As much as Jesus is praying for his own, and we could have no one better praying for us, we note that his followers are not going to be exempt from the hostile realities of life in a fallen world. We learn from the prayer, for example, in verse 15, that it is not God's will to take us out of this world, at least not just yet. We learn too, in fact, as we become identified with him in this world as his followers, he says we will discover the hatred of the unbelieving world. Look with me at verses 14 and 15. I have given them thy word. And the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. I pity those 
who would name the name of Christ, but want a religion that is all sweetness and light. Who want to leave church for the very reason they came. To go out those doors into this world better able to cope with life's challenges. How many of us go out the doors hearing Christ pray that there is an evil one that roams to and fro across the face of this earth seeking to devour someone only because they are followers of Christ? How many of us go out these doors and recognize that we're not entering into some realm of sweetness and light while we go pursuing our various forms of escape and entertainment when Jesus is saying, if you belong to me and you're living for me, you're going to confront in various ways, sooner or later, the hatred of the world. If you're being faithful, Jesus says, you better examine yourself if all men everywhere are speaking well of you. Jesus has already prayed and we studied it in one of our times here about truth and how it sets us apart, sanctify them, set them apart by truth. And we discovered that the meaning of that word truth is the word reality. That's the best contemporary English word, I think, brings us closer to this word truth, which we encounter in God's word everywhere. When Jesus says, I am the way, he's saying there is no other way to go. And when he says, I am the truth, he is saying, I am the ultimate reality. And when he says he is life, he's saying there is life in no one and nowhere else. Father, help me now to take your people, take me along with them onto this sacred ground. And help us to hear your voice again. We want to seek that reality, Lord. We want that truth. Make us, O oh Lord, to desire it more than our own comforts and security. In fact, Lord, we know there is great comfort when we face reality because you are the one who has overcome the world and the evil one. And so guide us into truth in these next moments and prepare us to come to this table. Help us to recognize, Lord, that the bread represents torn and broken, which was spilled out. And help us to consider what it is we are doing to take up a cross and follow you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. For the next few minutes, the approach I would like to take to certain of the verses, beginning around verse 13, as we've moved on through this chapter, is to consider what I am calling the call. Uh, the fact that we hear Christ praying, but we discover things in the prayer that we need to know. And what we discover when we look at these next few verses is that every one of God's children have been called. He says to his father, I pray that you not take them out of the world, which suggests to me God has a reason for leaving us in this world, even if it is a hostile world, even if it is a fallen world. 
of tragedy, even if things because of sin are not the way they're supposed to be. And so a simple outline, I think, would be this. We're looking at God's call upon our lives. It's not so much an invitation that tells us who, what, when, and where, and what time to show up, but it is instead a command upon our lives. We want to look at the who, the where, the what, the how, and the when of God's will for our lives, his call upon our very lives. Well, let's answer the questions. You might want to take a few notes under each of these words yourself. As uh, we come to the word who, we could answer, I think, quite readily. The who is you, (laughs) and the who is me. It is all Christians through all ages until Christ returns. But I made it a point in our study here because I want to underscore that the call is to a very elect, a very select group of people. This is not Jesus interceding for every person in the world. This is Jesus focused upon his church, if you will, the people that he will redeem by his blood. Look at verse 9. We've looked at it more than once, but we'll review it. Jesus is praying. He says, I ask on their behalf. But then he says, as to the who, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom thou hast given me, for they are thine. When we came down to verse 20, we saw that all that he prayed for the disciples still living in the hour in which he prayed this is a prayer that belongs to us more than 2,000 years after he prayed it. Evidence of that in verse 20. I do not ask in behalf of these alone, that is not the whole world, but these disciples, but not them alone, but for those also who believe in me. Who believe in me. This is Christ's prayer for believers throughout all ages until Christ returns. And we're talking about his call upon our lives. It renders for us this basic application of truth. Every single child of God is ordained. Typically in the course of church history and in the realm of church ecclesiology and church life, uh, we ask if such and such a person has been ordained. I guess that means do they get to put the word reverend in front of their name, like the Reverend James N. Sharp. I, I always kind of liked it. I, uh, I probably would have welcomed uh, most holy reverend to be respected and admired uh, Reverend James M. Sharp. But the truth is those are, those are inventions of men. Uh, They don't come from the inspired scripture. If you let the scripture just speak, this is clear. Every child of God has been ordained of God unto good works and are part of this calling. I like the one way that a rather uneducated but a man who loved Jesus Christ when he was asked about what he did and what was his purpose in life and what was it. What was he on earth for? And he answered this way. He said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, a witness of his gospel, 
cleverly disguised as a factory worker. You say, oh, I, many of you would say, oh, I have been this, I have done that, this was my profession, but I am a follower of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as retired in southwest Florida. Make sure that you have your focus on that which God has called you to. All of us are ordained to do good works, pointing the world to Jesus Christ as the source and the motive of those works. Well, the next point in the outline says, where? Where do we do this? Well, we do it in Taiwan, like the harbors, if that's where you happen to be, or you do it in Africa, in Ethiopia, as the Lewises are doing, because that's where they happen to be, or you do it in South America, if that's where you happen to be, where do you fulfill this calling, you who are ordained of God unto good works for his glory? Well, in most of our cases, we do it here in southwest Florida. Unless, of course, we're going back to New Jersey and then we do it there. Or in Michigan. Or Illinois. It's wherever you are and wherever you go. You say, well, that's not the most profound point you've ever brought from the pulpit, Pastor Sharp. But I do want to underscore this matter of where in a little bit more detail. Come with me to verse 6. I guess one way we could answer the question as opposed to saying and talking about geographical locations is simply to say, where are we to fulfill our calling? Well, in the world. Look at verse 6. I manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. Jesus' ministry was in the world and to those in particular that God had given to him through God's great mercy. Verse 13, we can counter this word world again. But now I come to thee, Jesus says in verse 13, to the Father, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Verse 13 ought to be a proof text to convince us once and for all that you do not get joy from this world. The joy that we have is a joy that is out of this world. He speaks to us in a world so that the joy he has may be ours in the world, but not of it. Verses 14 and 15 we've already read. This world that Jesus speaks of is not so much a geographical place, but rather a place where the people in it, wherever you are, who are outside of God's saving mercy are a people who are still in very hostile position to Jesus Christ and therefore hate even his servants. In verse 15, we learn that this world of which Jesus speaks, he refers again not to geography so much, but to a world system that is under the dominion of the evil one. It's interesting for me to note this week that Jesus doesn't pray that we'll be kept from trouble. And Satan is a troubler, and he can bring trouble into our lives. 
But he prays the ultimate prayer we need, and that is that we would not fall ultimate victim and prey to this roaring lion. We are preserved not from the evil in the world. It's a poor translation. We are preserved from the evil one who cannot do anything to us, Job learned, unless he has permission from a sovereign God. But verse 16 is very telling here. Where Jesus says, they, meaning us now, are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Well, in what sense does he mean that? We certainly were born into this world. Christians, like unbelievers, are still made of weak flesh and blood. We are earthy. So he's not talking again about geography or place or our basic humanity. He's talking about a world system, its values, its beliefs, and its practices. In the old days, we used to call it worldliness. That was when Christians used to be concerned about whether or not they were demonstrating to the world around them that they really were set apart and different from everyone else. Seems to me in our day, those lines have been very blurred. There are two kingdoms. Jesus' answer to Pilate revealed that. Pilate said, we looked at this the other week, are you a king? And Jesus said, well, who told you that? You speak the truth. But my kingdom is not of this world. It has nothing to do with this world system, with these worldly values, with all of the lies that this world tells and all of its sinful practices. Mine is an everlasting and heavenly kingdom. I wonder to what extent do you and I live, as the scriptures would describe a true Christian, as aliens, and strangers in that kind of world. How much do we live reflecting the values, the beliefs, and the practices of a heavenly kingdom? Well, what is this mission? We've seen the who, it's us. We've seen where, it's in this hostile world of sin. But what is it? Well, beloved, your mission, should you decide to accept it, as once was said to Mr. Phelps, is that whatever we are in this world, it is so others might come to believe that God indeed did send Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ is, in reality, the Son of the living God. What is the mission? What is our calling? Look at verse 21. That they may all be one, so we're to work toward that. Being a church united as one under the Lordship of Christ. But why? Well, read on, verse 21. Even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. What a weight of responsibility begins to fall upon our, our understanding of this. Jesus says, I'm praying for them because the plan, Father, that you and I have devised after I come back to you when I have finished the work of redemption is to give them my Holy Spirit so that they may demonstrate to the world in their very lives that I am who I say I am and that you, Father, have indeed sent me. How do we do that? Well, that's the next word, isn't it? How do we do that? Come down to verse 23. 
Jesus says, I in them, that is us, and thou in me, that they may be perfected in this unity, this one great force in the world. You'll remember that the gates of hell cannot stand up to the church. But here it is again, that the world may know that thou didst send me. This is not redundance. The same phrase repeated twice within a few verses means that God doesn't want us to miss our calling. That the world may know. But let's read on. That thou didst send me. But there's more here. And didst love them even as thou didst love me. We had time this morning, I'd take you over to the theology of Paul, where in one place he describes that the new birth brings with it the very love of God shed abroad in our hearts, overflowing, if you will, and spilling out to the world, that the world might know just how much the Father loved the Son, how much the Son loves us, evidenced by a love that flows out to us to an unlovely and sometimes very unlovable world. Sanctify them by the truth. I've set them apart. As the Father hath sent me, he says in verses 17 through 19, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. How did the Father send Jesus Christ. The answer is in the most well-memorized verse in all of Scripture. How did it all begin? How did salvation come to this dark world? How did it come to you? For God so loved the world that he sent in bodily form his love, his only begotten. This is what? My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He's going back to the Father shortly after the cross. But he's praying now at this particular hour in John 17. That we'll take literally his place in the ministry of putting on display the love of God. Martin Luther once said, and he was often misunderstood. He said, every Christian is to be Christ." To his neighbor. Now he wasn't suggesting some poor theology that somehow when we become a Christian, we become a little more divine than human. Christ only was divine in that regard. But we are to be Christ to our neighbor in what sense? To all those around us. We are the people who together are one. I trust we are. And what the world sees is the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. What the world confronts when it confronts those who are saved by grace is a people full of grace and mercy. Is that us? Are we characterized by that kind of love which is patient, which is kind? Oh, for more kindness. Oh, for more kindness and less meanness in the body of Christ. A love that is not jealous. Oh, how often our fleshly envy and jealousy gets in the way of demonstrating to the world the love that is in God and the person of Jesus Christ. 
It's a love that doesn't brag, I read. It's a love that's not arrogant. It's a love that's not self-seeking. It's a love that doesn't get angry all the time just like that. No, it's not easily provoked. This is that love which doesn't need to get even. This is that love which rejoices in everything that's true and turns its back on everything that is false, like gossip. This is a love that bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things, meaning it never gives up loving even those who do not know how to love in return. What a victory. Jesus says, I'm praying that this is what the church will be. When are we to do this? Well, today. We're to do it now. We're to do it all the time till Jesus comes. Now, the disciples were not quite ready to begin. We read on in the Gospel of John. We come to the book of Acts. They get further instruction. They say, don't go anywhere yet. Don't do anything. Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is outpoured upon you, then you will become his witnesses. Then you will be empowered to demonstrate this love to the world. What we have in the book of Acts, I'd like to think, is a description of the normal Christian church whose very lives and oneness together so demonstrated to the world that every day people were coming to Christ. Let's review and then let's come to this table. The who is you. The where is a world in spiritual bondage and darkness. The what of it is the glory of Christ and redemption. It is the gospel story. The how of it is our demonstration of Christ-like love and grace. Please, don't plan on sharing the gospel message with anyone unless you're ready to back it up with a life full of grace and love and truth. The win is here and now till Jesus comes again.